0: I want to welcome you to the show
1: we are the host of the number one horror platform on YouTube dead meat James A. Janisse is in the building here tonight James A. Janisse how are you doing tonight man hey, I'm good Max how are you man doing pretty well it's an honor to have you here on the show been a fan of your channel for the longest time it's an honor to have you here congratulations on all your achievements and accolades and what you've done for yourself and building your own brand in this horror business man oh thank you huge you've been busy this whole october what does your october consist of i know you go to cons you do interviews kill counts what does your october consist of
0: yeah man so october is crazy and it always has been for me as far as as long as dead meat's been around uh baseline i put out more videos right so i i basically double and i think in 2020 i tripled the amount of kill counts i was releasing so that increases the workload on its own right there uh then especially as the channel goes on and, and it gets bigger and these these studios take more notice of it we're getting invited to more things so this year we just got invited to so many awesome things a lot of things to do with halloween kills since that was coming out and um what other there was some candy man stuff so there were all these things going on that they were awesome events that we would get invited to but like we would go there and then it'd be filmed. And then we would have to edit that as well. And so it was like that workload on top of the regular workload. And uh, yeah, it was a lot. There's also just a lot going on. Personally, uh, we're kind of turning dead meat from a, just a channel into a legitimate company. We've hired on employees. We're giving them healthcare and 401ks and stuff. So that is an ongoing process talking with like lawyers and accountants and all this other can I swear on the that All right. Yes, you can. Yeah. All this other shit that I don't have any idea about, man. I'm just the guy who made silly videos and lucked out because they got popular. And now I'm like running a business, but it's, it's been a learning experience. Um, a very tiring one, but a very rewarding one as well. You started a while ago because you had an original show, Practical
1: Folks, and you started this independent channel right here with Dead Meat in 2016. You started to gain your, your fan base and your following. Shortly after 2016, when did this become a business in which you got this huge following and you could move forward, which you just mentioned, giving people health care and 401ks?
0: Yeah. So it's been a gradual process. Uh, dead meat was 2017, early 2017 when it launched yeah. yeah. Uh, first video came out in April of 2017. And like I just said, I was super lucky in how quickly it became successful. Um, I think 10 weeks in, I had a video that came out that had surpassed all the views from the other channel that you mentioned practical folks. And that channel had been started under a different name in 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd been going at it for, for a number of years on YouTube and uh, finding that success that fast was crazy, crazy to witness. And so, yeah, it's been a real gradual process. Um, Cause I think for like, maybe almost the first year, I was still doing everything by myself. Uh, all the editing, all the writing, which I still do right now, just everything all the graphics work. Uh, it was just all a one man show which is insane looking back, but that's also why if you look back at those early episodes, they don't feel as polished or as uh, in-depth as modern-day episodes because I didn't have the time to devote as much uh, uh, resources and such to the writing. Uh, After a while, I started to hire on people. Uh, My first editor, Bree, was just a fan of Practical Folks who followed over from Practical Folks onto Dead Meat, and she expressed an interest in editing, and she was really good at it, so she took some of the workload from me, which was nice, Um, Made in is the name of a network that I reached out to because I kept getting hit with copyright claims, which (laughs) is still an ongoing thing. But I was like, I'm using all this movie footage. It's getting copyright claimed. But I know there are other channels out there that use this kind of movie footage. What are they doing? So I looked up CinemaSins and saw who represented them. And it was this company made in and I emailed them and they were like, oh, hey, we were just looking at your channel. And they're this company based in Tennessee. They're like an MCN. But unlike some of the other ones, they don't represent thousands of channels. They just handled like a dozen channels. Uh, I'm one of the smaller ones, I think actually, cause they're, you know, they, they represent and help, um, binging with Babish and CinemaSins. So like these, these big channels and they really knew what they were doing. So I think that they came on in 2018 or was it 2019? But when they came on, that also helped relieve some of the pressure. And so it's just been a gradual thing of like, oh, now we have more resources to hire more people to help us out with more work. And we have more ideas that we can hire people to come in and, and film things and edit things.
1: Mm-hmm. And you just built your way up from there. You're continuing to do that. You're being invited to screenings at these big films. Halloween Kills is one of them. David Gordon Green, you hosted a Q&A with him.
0: Yeah, Chelsea and I, uh, Chelsea coming in on the channel pretty early on with the podcast too, which I think is essential to Dead Meat as a brand just so it's not just the Kill Count show. I think the podcast does a lot of uh, work making us appear serious and knowledgeable about the things we're talking about because Kill Count, I mean, nowadays it's more informative, but early on it was just like goofing around and making jokes and such. But uh, yeah, it was it was nuts having that screening with David Gordon Green, because especially it was a screening just for dead meat fans like Universal reached out and was like, Hey, do you want to have a screening that your fans can sign up for and we filled this theater. And so all these people who are fans of the channel got to come out to City Walk in in uh, Universal City over here in LA. And they filled up the theater and then David Gordon Green came by. And I, I guess He just came by just to do this interview. Like, you know, he's seen the movie. He didn't stick around for the movie. But I thought that this was like a thing that he was doing ahead of time. No, they brought him out just for dead meat, which was freaking awesome. Uh, He was great to chat with before the movie. It was before the movie, so we couldn't ask any like juicy spoilery questions, but it was still cool. And then what was great was like as he was leaving after the conversation, he was shaking our hands and he was like, I'll see you guys for the next one. Like, just implying that, like, this will be a, a continuous future thing. And it's just, it's so cool to have that kind of, uh, just be talking to these people who make these movies that I'm such a fan of and I respect so much. And now they're, like, giving me respect, too. It's, it's wild, man. <laughs> That's huge. Was this the first event
1: that you held in which all your fans came to this theater?
0: Uh, it was the first screening like that. One other thing that we did was, uh, so the podcast, which Chelsea runs, is part of the Rooster Teeth Network, The Roost. And so they have their convention every year, RTX in Austin, Texas. And uh, we got to do a live show there in 2019. I don't think there's like a recording of it or anything. So it was just this one-time thing that if you were there, you were there. But it was a ton of fun. Chelsea put together a game show with like prizes and stuff. And I was just running around with a microphone and talking to all these people. And we filled a a decent-sized little auditorium there. So we're we're hoping for more live stuff in the future. We're always um, getting people are always reaching out to us about like how to have dead meat go live. And it's a cool thing, but it's like everything. It's like when I have the time, I'll think about it. And I just seem to never have the time. Unfortunately,
1: (laughs) Yes, you're very busy, but before we get into life of being in Detroit and you actually becoming an actor and moving into horror talk, I need your thoughts on Halloween kills I did listen to your podcast that you did (laughs) and you didn't like that they took away Laurie Strode like they did in the original Halloween Two. but I mean the gore was over the top in this film. And I feel as though that Rob Zombie really has had an impact on the newer horror movies since he's came out with House of a Thousand Corpses. How do you feel about Michael Myers just being such a violent figure? Because you look back at these original films and they weren't as violent where he's popping eyes out of people's skulls and stuff like that. It's insane. What's your thoughts on all on this gore porn that they have out here now? Do you think Rob Zombie had a definite impact on that in which it may have tainted the, the art of horror?
0: I don't think it tainted it. I think it's a different, uh, yeah, style. Right. And I think that when, so Rob Zombie filmed house of thousand corpses, I think in 2000, maybe even late 99, there was a big delay.
1: Yeah. Because he like, couldn't get a distribution deal because of the whole nine 11 and
0: Columbine. And mm-hmm. it, it took him a while to get a, a distribution. Yeah. It was a weird time in the world, but he, yeah. he filmed it. And then, uh, you know, when he was filming that, that, that was the era of like the post scream teen oriented i mean scream goes there with the violence and the scares but a lot of the copycats that came after they were more toned down they were targeted towards teens it's also the same time as uh the ring imitators that was maybe a tiny bit later but this was an era of horror where it was skewing young And uh, it was less vulgar, I guess, than maybe some of the things from the 80s. And I like that Zombie was like, no, we're going to we're going to go back to like the exploitation days and the grindhouse kind of aesthetic and brought that with House of a Thousand Corpses and then again with Devil's Rejects. And then, of course, his take on Halloween was just this brutal, violent Michael Myers. And, you know, it can be really uncomfortable to watch, but I don't mind being uncomfortable watching movies. I think that it's good to make yourself uncomfortable. Sometimes you got to challenge yourself and and that's how you grow as a person. That's how you learn what you like and you don't like. And so uh, Rob Zombie movies, they're not all for me. And I don't think there are any where I'm on board with it 100% of the way through. There's always something that bothers me about him, but I really respect what he brings to the genre Uh, just his like no fucks given attitude, doing it his way. I think he could probably use someone telling him no sometimes, but uh, I am like interested in his take on the monsters. I'm curious to see what that's all about. I actually kind of like his wife as an actress sometimes. Uh, I know that she gets a lot of hate, but yeah, I I think that he brought that element of violence that then hostile and saw did as well. And it gave us the torture porn, the gore porn, which was, more prominent in the 2000s. So in a way, Halloween Kills is almost like a throwback yeah. to 10 years prior. Because I feel like, you know, uh, after the the real violent torture porn and the like reboot phase kind of ended in the early 2010s, I feel like for a, a stretch there, things weren't as violent. And uh, they were just... I don't know, maybe it was like an artsier period. I'm thinking like It Follows and The Witch and all these other like prestige and quotes, uh, horror movies that were coming out. So Halloween Kills is almost like a throwback to a decade ago. I agree. It's yeah. For me, I prefer Michael Myers as the cat-like
1: figure that you see Nick Castle and Dick mm-hmm. Warlock play. Whereas uh, I think James U. Courtney plays a great shape though, even though in this one, they really turned up the notch here with the violence. And yeah. I thought Halloween Kills to me was just, in my opinion, it was a terrible movie oh yeah Halloween 2018 (laughs) it was so superior compared to this oh I
0: love 2018 yeah I love 2018 yeah I'm hoping they um I I think that everyone's ultimate appraisal of Halloween kills is going to be kind of contingent on how Halloween ends is because Halloween kills right now feels like it was just kind of spinning its wheels uh very much the middle film in a trilogy um a lot of characters acting dumb but if if Halloween ends can stick the landing. I'm wondering if people will look back at Halloween kills a little more fondly. Cause I felt like there were plenty of issues with it. I still had a pretty good time watching it with the side characters. So I don't know. I'm waiting to see how they close it out.
1: Yeah. I feel as though there should have been a little bit more suspense in Halloween kills. When you look at the older ones where you see him in the perception in which he's breathing from the mask and you're at the edge of your seat whereas though you really didn't have that perception and feeling in this one.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There were a few good scares, but they were more sudden, mm-hmm. I think, rather than the uh, prolonged suspense. There was nothing, I think, akin to, like, uh, Annie going out to the car mm-hmm. and, you know, that, that suspense of knowing where, where is he? Oh, and there, the, the windshield is foggy. He must be in the car. Oh, no. And now he's strangling her. Yeah, it wasn't like that. Yeah.
1: I want to spin this right to the beginning of, of your history in which you were growing up in Detroit, Michigan. Tell us about your early life.
0: Well, right outside Detroit, I, I make sure to never say that I'm from Detroit, even though I know colloquially anyone from Metro Detroit will say I'm from Detroit, it's just easier, but I never say that I, I always say I'm from the Detroit area because I feel as though the city, uh, it, I haven't earned that I haven't earned uh, enough to say I'm from Detroit because Uh, I lived just outside of it in a city bordering Detroit. So I was closer than most people who say they're from Detroit. I'm from Lincoln Park is where I lived. I went to school in Southgate and uh, that's from the down river community. It's uh, part of Wayne County, South of Detroit. And, you know, a lot of the people from Michigan who I went to college with at the university of Michigan in Ann Arbor and who I run into out here. And if they're from the Detroit area, they're usually from North of Detroit in Macomb County and, and, uh, they're a little bit higher income uh, places. And so mine is, I mean, my friends will tease me for being like a downriver rat because I just, had, you know, I was into fucking backyard wrestling. I was listening to Limp Bizkit. I was, you know, just being kind of a trashy person, but I'll revel in it. I'll be proud of that, man. That's who I was growing up. And that's, uh, that's what I was dealt. I think I, I made out all right, but I never went to like the city and hung out. My sister did a lot. Uh, she's three years older than me, and she had a rebellious period in her teenage years. So like she would go hang out in the city. And if Janelle ever wants to say she's from Detroit, she she fucking earned it. But I did not. I was in the I was in like the lily white suburbs, the, you know, the the safer areas. And so I'm from the Detroit area, but still a lot of pride in D-Town. I love it.
1: When did your love of horror begin and what was the first horror movie that you can recall that you saw as a viewer and even one that terrified you most being young?
0: Yeah, uh, I started pretty early. I remember that Night of the Living Dead Mm -hmm. and Serial Mom (laughs) from John Waters (laughs) were two movies that my mom would allow us to watch real young just because she was a fan. I think, you know, Night of the Living Dead probably scared her when it came out. Would that be right, age-wise? Yeah, she'd be like a teenager when it came out, so... Um, I think she just had a respect for it as a film, and then she really liked the satirical elements of Serial Mom. Uh, But I do remember my family renting Scream after it came out, and they were watching it in the living room, and that opening scene just scared me. I mean, if they had rented it, that came out Christmas 96, so it would have been in 97. I probably would have been about seven or eight years old just about eight years old and I remember running away from the out of the living room because the opening scene was so scary but it was probably shortly thereafter um by 99 so like when I was like 10 years old that I got really into horror movies scream I think was was formative for me because uh I remember just feeling as though like oh that was the movie that scared me when I was a little baby when I was eight but now I'm 10 and can watch it and I'm fucking cool now uh but it, it, you know my parents gave me a lot of leeway and freedom growing up, uh, probably too much. Maybe should have had a little more guide rails for me, but uh, they figured that as long as I was doing well in school, I could do whatever the hell else. And uh, I I always had a 4.0, uh, graduated second in my class. So I school came easy to me. And so I was given the freedom to do whatever else, including <laughs> we would go up to my local video store and my mom like made it so that I could rent R-rated movies by myself, even though I was in I remember specifically being in seventh grade and writing out to-do lists, which included ride my bike up to the video store, rent this horror movie, come back, copy it onto a blank VHS with my two VCRs, because I was doing that as a kid, <laughs> and uh, add it to my, my HTML-coded horror movie website that I made at that time. So uh, I was given a lot of freedom by my parents. And I think that that contributed to me finding that love for horror very early on, even though my mom hated the genre. My dad was pretty indifferent to it. it. It wasn't something that I inherited from then. It was more something that I found on my own and was super into uh, for a few years and then kind of fell out of it, uh, probably as I got more into like computer gaming in high school and and the 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 landscape of the horror genre wasn't as appealing to me. Mm -hmm.
1: it's interesting to hear just about scream because you you look at it now you're doing your own, you did a show there in the original scream house. Looking back on that, it's pretty wild now.
0: Yeah. We got invited by Paramount to just go stay at the house they used to shoot scream in. And it was just Chelsea and I staying the night. There is super, super cool. Uh, We already released the podcast. Like you said, where we were talking about scream that we filmed in that living room. We also filmed a separate video. It's a tour of the house talking about like where they shot, everything and and what makes sense with the physical layout of the house and what doesn't. And that'll be coming out in January ahead of the new scream, which I'm so excited for. Never thought I'd be excited for a non-West Craven scream, but then they got Radio Silence doing it, who are not only personal friends of ours, but they did Ready or Not, which I think nails that tone of being really funny, but also serious, scary, gory. And I just hope they bring that for the new scream. I can't wait.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was a little skeptical because Wes Craven died and he wasn't going to mm-hmm. be a part of this new film. Uh, do you have any thoughts on who you may think is the new killer? Do you have any?
0: No, I you no. Know, that's the thing with me is I I tend to kind of turn my brain off. I I never try to guess things because I, I I like to just consume it as it comes. So uh, you'll never catch me like looking for clues and trying to figure out something ahead of time. I just like to to be a a uh, passive viewer, and I think that gives me the most honest reaction to things. Because if you start uh, thinking of your own endings and thinking of how you want something to go, you might be disappointed if it's not that way, even if it's really good on its own merits, you know? So Mm -hmm. I just like to take what they give me and then appraise it.
1: There's always this bickering back and forth between fans. You even see this online between Scream and Scream 2. What do you think is the superior film? Because there are people that believe that Scream Two is better than the first
0: one. Oh, I think those people are very wrong. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) exactly. Watched the quadrilogy. And so I have a fresh view of all four movies. And honestly, Scream Two might be my least favorite Scream. Because yeah. That's a hot take. It is a hot take because I know that Scream 3, I railed against Scream 3 for years and I called it a garbage movie and that it was horrible. <laughs> but this time through, man, watching it, yeah, I was so entertained by Scream 3. I, I was laughing. I was having a good time. I think I was just able to take it less seriously and uh, enjoy it as the more comedic scream of the series. Scream 2, I feel, almost gets caught in between. Um, it's not as funny as Scream 3 becomes. It, it's It's kind of just a rehashing of the first one, just done a little lesser. It, it's real chopped up because of what they had to do during production with script leaks and such. Like Mickey wasn't originally going to be the killer. And I think that's evident in the fact that he disappears for what, 50 minutes of the movie before he's revealed as the killer. And you're like, wait, who the fuck's this guy? Uh, and there are just scenes that don't work at all for me. The, the singing and the- uh in uh, the
1: cafeteria.
0: Yeah, the singing in the cafeteria and even the climax, they're on stage and Sydney's defeating the enemy ghost faces with like smoke from like theater antics and like uh, cardboard bricks falling on them and stuff. I I think it's so dumb. It's like it tries to be real serious, but it's just has some scenes that don't work for me. So yeah, Scream 2 might be my least favorite of the Screams, honestly. Oh, that, yeah.
1: that, that, it's, it's a hot take, but I can understand why. And I think they had a strong opening, especially in the bathroom scene. Oh, I think the sure. opening was strong, but then when you see the ending and Mickey's the killer, exactly. You're like, who is this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I love Timothy Olyphant. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he was
1: great in The Crazies. He's in Dreamcatcher. Yeah. You know, Dreamcatcher, what a crazy ass movie, man. Oh, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But I, these classics that are just coming along Halloween kills. And uh, do you think that eventually, you know, you're hearing about this Friday, the 13th settlement going on and a nightmare on Elm street, which franchise do you think is going to be
0: the next to take off like Halloween kills and Halloween. It's a good question. Um, I don't know because as far as I'm aware, there's not really movement on Nightmare on Elm Street, right? There's not any discussion or any future installments because uh, from what I understand, I believe the West Craven estate owns the rights to it. And uh, I imagine they're probably going to be pretty protective of it. They're not going to want another, ex- like the 2010 remake of Nightmare. I don't like, and I, I feel like most people don't like. Out of all the, ho- uh, out of all the, the big horror remakes, I would say it's probably the most uh, uniformly disliked because you'll have defenders of Rob Zombie's Halloween. I am one of them. You'll have people who acknowledge correctly that the Friday the 13th reboot is fucking awesome. (laughs) But I think there are less defenders of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And so they might be more hesitant. But again, I mean, that was 11 years ago. I don't know. And then with Friday, I know that there was some movement on the legal thing, but I don't know a lot about law, but I know enough that nothing ever seems to be completely settled. There's always appeals and such. So I don't know what's going to go on with that. Even if there is, uh, even if that finally does get settled between those men in their late seventies, eighties, I think Cunningham and Miller, uh, even if that does get settled, it's going to take a while to develop and produce something, uh, something for us to actually watch. So who knows? Mm -hmm. I think Halloween is going to, close out with halloween ends we probably won't see another halloween after that for at least a little bit and uh, it never ends yeah I de- oh it de- will definitely get another one to yeah. on, but <laughs> there will probably be like a cool off period of at least three four years maybe mm-hmm. maybe
1: i don't know yeah it's it's insane these sequels and, and reboots and retcons and it just doesn't make any sense to me this this will actually segue into my next topic here because why keep making these sequels when they, in my opinion, they don't surpass the originals? In my opinion, I think Halloween 2 is one of the greatest sequels of all time from 1981. Oh, the first one? Yeah.
0: one yeah. I uh, think that's
1: one of the great, I think to me, that's a better movie than Halloween Kills.
0: Okay. Uh, I, between those two, I don't know what I would rank higher. I don't love Halloween 2 as much as other people do. I know it is a very well yeah. Uh, a very beloved horror sequel. It's always kind of bored me. Uh, like Because of the hospital
1: and Laurie Strode being taken yeah. out. Yeah, I, I can understand yeah. that from your point I do like it.
0: a lot of elements of it, but yeah. um, Halloween as a whole, the franchise, I think, is kind of dull to me. Uh, but I don't know, man. I, there are some sequels that are great. Dream Warriors is awesome. It's mm-hmm. the name of the game in horror. Like yeah. You're going to have these killers that people are going to be attached to and they're going to want to see more of. And then what's great is that you know, the first movie is always a movie that establishes something and the sequels, if you can do it right, which isn't often, but you might be able to have more fun with it because you're not spending time with like the origin. That's, that's why in my ranking video for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I, I did put dream warriors above the original. And like I said, in the video, they're tied, they're tied. I can't say concretely that one is better than the other, But I do think what dream warriors has over the original is that like, it doesn't have to waste time teasing who Freddy Krueger is and like slow rolling his arrival. It's like dream warrior starts, you know, who he is. You're getting right into it right away. And I think that that's a lot of fun and it works for a movie like that.
1: Welcome to primetime bitch.
0: (laughs) Welcome to primetime bitch.
1: (laughs) Classic. And Robert Engel, that's another issue. Why, the Nightmare on Elm Street series may never move forward, even though I think Jackie Earl Haley played it a great Freddie in, in, oh, in his great. own way. Yeah, but for just sure. just Robert
0: Englund, it's mm-hmm. a typecast role. I mean, it's the same. Well, you know, um, because obviously with Michael and Jason, they have performers who bring a lot to the role. Kane Everyone Hodder. loves Kane Hodder. Yeah. Uh, I think James Jude Courtney will probably go down as like a very highly ranked Michael Myers. Yeah, I do But too. they are still... Uh, you can find other people to provide similar or even a different take that's just as good mannerisms when it's just based on the physicality. When you have a voice and a personality to the character like Freddy Krueger or Chucky, it's difficult to find a new version of that. And I think the remake did a decent job, the Child's Play remake, As, as many issues as I have with that existing in the first place, I think Mark Hamill did a great job uh, you know, found this new voice literally for that character, but it's still difficult, uh, when you put them up against the original and, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if that re- child's play remake is going to have a sequel, but obviously the Jackie Earl Haley, Freddy didn't have one. So I don't know if you can have a new character play those personality based killers and get away with another franchise. Cause even Candyman, what it did the new Candyman, <laughs> it it's not the same Candyman character that Tony Todd played. And I, I think that that was a wise way to kind of sidestep that issue rather than recasting Candyman and saying, no, this is the same guy just played by someone different. It's a different character. And I think that was pretty wise and might give that franchise a path forward if they so choose to continue down it. But um, yeah, it, it's tough when, when the killer is tied to a personality.
1: Even with D- Doug Bradley as Pinhead, another one.
0: Yeah, and right now I'm covering the Hellraiser movies, but I'm only doing the first four, so those are the only four I've watched. Those are the
1: only good ones.
0: (laughs) Well, I've I've heard Defenders of Inferno, the fifth one by Scott Derrickson. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that I watched that when I was a kid, but I remember nothing of it. Is that the one with Henry Cavill in it? He's. I couldn't even tell you. I have not seen Inferno. Yeah, but you know, I actually I've really enjoyed these first four Hellraisers, all in their own ways, and. I'm curious to check out the rest of the franchise because I I'm like, are they as bad as everyone says? I mean, everyone says they're awful, but I want to be able to judge that for myself, but I do know. Yeah. Doug Bradley uh, swaps out as pinhead after a while. And that's another role where it's like, I can't imagine that. I've never seen the non Doug Bradley pinhead. And so I'm curious what my reaction would be to it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and the way I rank the Hellraiser's. I think the first one's a masterpiece, but to me, instead of the second one, Hellbound, I prefer Hell on Earth, which is Hellraiser oh, yeah. three. Yeah, uh,
0: I mean it's it's a totally different flavor, yeah. totally different. It's Hellraiser three is that more um, loud and and big and explosive and actiony one, and uh, Pinhead's way more present. He's like always on the screen, always with the dialogue, and uh, yeah, I mean I'm that my coverage of that movie comes out on Friday. And wow. people will see my thoughts on it. Basically, I like the characters. I think the acting is awful, but I still yeah. like the characters. Uh, and it's, it's a fun, dumb movie. It's, I think it's, it's fun and dumb. It's great.
1: You brought up Chucky before. You've been praising the new series that takes oh, place yeah. on Sci-Fi in USA. And it's been holding my attention because I was a little leery with the curse of Chucky, the cult of Chucky, and the seeds, all these of Chucky's that are not the first three. And I'm surprised about how well this has been put together by Don Mancini. Well, did you see Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky? I, I watched some of them. I They couldn't, it, I didn't, it didn't hold my attention. It really yeah, didn't. I kind of walked away. That's the away. thing is I
0: feel like a lot of people who are, you know, now Chucky's getting a lot of attention now because of the show, which yeah, I think is great. Um, I feel like a lot of the people who are like either tuning into the show and saying, oh, I'm surprised it's this good. Or just have these thoughts on what Chucky is as a franchise and what it's become. Uh, checked out after Seed of Chucky or maybe even Bride of Chucky. And I feel as though I've seen a lot of times people online talking about the franchise without having seen Curse and Cult of Chucky, which I think are fucking great movies. I think Curse of Chucky especially uh, is, is amazing. Cult has its faults, but I think Curse of Chucky is an incredible pivot for the franchise after it went the more comedic direction with Bride and Seed of Chucky. And I, it, it, it's kind of a uh, frustrating for me on Don Mancini's behalf of to see people being like, Oh, I didn't expect this to be so good. When it's like, no, he just made two really good movies. Yeah. And even if they're not your, your style, they're not like seed where it's, pretty universally disliked. I'm actually curious to revisit it since, you know, now I like Scream 3. Maybe I'll like Seed of Chucky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I, I feel like a lot of people watched the first three Chucky's and, and the first three Child's plays. And that was their preferred uh, way of having Chucky. And then Bride and Seed came out and they're like, oh, this series is dumb now. And never gave Curse and Cult a chance because those went to direct to video. They weren't in theaters. I don't know why. Um, I would love to... Find out why, because back when I covered those movies in 2017, I didn't do my deep dive research into you know how they got made and everything. But it just sucks. I, I imagine it's as simple as Seed of Chucky was poorly received, uh, probably didn't do well at the box office, so they stopped giving it a theatrical release. But that's so unfair to me because you know, the Friday the 13th movies and the Halloween movies, all of those fucking things came out in theaters, and there are some goddamn horrible skin. Halloween like, resurrection, horrible yeah like come on if all of those got to come out in theaters jason x give, yeah give chucky the respect he deserves and i think if curse had been a theatrical released film maybe it would have been seen by more people and more acknowledged but as it stands i feel like it is an underseen movie that i would love to change somehow because i i have a personal fondness for it i love it and i'm glad now maybe people will re- revisit it since the series seems to be doing really well um I don't know how it's doing ratings wise, but I know critically and uh, with the audience, they seem to really like it. I love it. And it leans a lot on these characters who were introduced in Curse and Cult and continuing that storyline. That's the fucking thing that I love about the Chucky franchise. And part of why I had such an issue with the remake is because Don Mancini has been at least the co-writer for all the movies and has just been at the helm. He's He's treated the franchise more like a show than a movie franchise. Uh, you know, a show that'll have a showrunner that makes sure everything is coherent and continuous. He has done that in such an interesting way, jumping back and forth between styles, whether it's the comedic sensibilities of some of them, some gothic aesthetics in them, uh, the, the psych ward horror that is in cults of Chucky. He's able to, to revisit all these different things and yet still maintain the continuity. Like we just had Chucky mention his uh, kid, Glenn and Glenda, in the show yeah yeah so it's like still canonical that glenn is out there and uh, i just love that like i you can tell that don mancini just fucking loves this franchise and i'm so happy for him that he has a successful show right now and that his name is right there in the beginning of every episode it says (laughs) chucky created for television by don mancini and i'm just like fist pumping hell yeah don you put in that work making those two even when it was direct to video and i'm sure that had to have been discouraging of like I'm making another Chucky movie, but they're not letting me release it in theaters. That sucks, but he kept at it. And now I think he's finally found a new audience that will hopefully support him and hopefully we'll get another season.
1: Mm-hmm. And I hope it does because it's held my attention and watching the episode last night, they really hit the ground running with this and keep the audience's attention because main characters are dying every episode. They killed yeah. off two main ones last night.
0: Yeah, it was, it was surprising. And what was great about the last night's episode uh, for people watching this in the future, mm-hmm. this episode six, of the the first season. uh, It's really when they've combined all of the storylines. And I like that they kind of slow rolled the beginning of the season without immediately bringing in Jennifer Tilly and immediately bringing in Andy from the first three films Mm -hmm. uh, played again by Alex Vincent, who was the kid actor, which is is nuts, Mm -hmm. but they, they took the time to establish these new characters, this new world. And I think it really paid off because now that they are bringing in these other elements from all seven of those movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. all seven of those movies have been getting integrated into the show. It's like, it just feels like such a good payoff. I love seeing Alex and Kyle doing their thing. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Fiona Dorf as Nika is incredible. I think she is almost as good and uh, as an invaluable addition to the franchise as Jennifer Tilly, mm-hmm. uh, who was like the shot in the arm that the franchise needed in Bride of Chucky. And like, I'm glad that she's still around playing Tiffany possessing Jennifer Tilly's body. Like it's all this incredible continuity, strange shit that Don keeps track of and stays faithful to even knowing that there's a bunch of new people watching the show. He's, he's not worried about alienating them. He's like, just come along for the ride. It's a good time. And I love him having that confidence in the viewers. Yeah,
1: it's an amazing show. I hope that the, there is a second season. I think there will be because of the, the critically acclaimed, which you mentioned before.
0: And I mean, yeah. in the
1: reviews, on, and it's always trending on Twitter every Tuesday night.
0: You know, it's hard for me to know what's actually trending on Twitter because I feel like Twitter is like, hey, this this shit's trending. And you're like, is it for everyone though? Or is all are, are all these wrestlers trending because I like wrestling? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the whole world is talking about Sasha Banks right now, Twitter. Yeah you're making it feel as though they are, but I do think it is. Uh, I do think the Chucky series is, is being well, uh, well received. And yeah, I think it'll get another season. Brad but what they need to do though, is put it on Peacock because it's the sci-fi universal show, uh, sci-fi USA show, and they're part of the NBC family. They need to put that shit on Peacock so that people can watch it. Because I know that I, I, I often see responses to tweets and comments on videos being like, "How? where do I watch this show? It shouldn't be difficult. You can't make your show difficult to watch nowadays. Like there's a billion streaming services. Stick it on one that at least is at a peacock level because right now you have to, what, go on the USA app or the sci-fi app or some, you know, some piddling shit. Put that shit on an actual (laughs) streaming service so that people can catch up and become new fans, you know?
1: yeah. Brad Dourif, he just does an amazing job. He's meant for the voices, Chucky, too. Oh, yeah. Mark Hamill did a great job. Brad Durfer will always be the voice of Chucky. And just just going into the other series here that I wanted to bring up with you, which is it could be considered a dumpster fire, which is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because I heard that they were going to be doing a retconning similar to the Halloween franchise in which they were going to be making a direct sequel to the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know what's been going on with it, but I heard it's going to be a direct release to Netflix.
0: Uh, yeah, I know that they're working on a new Chainsaw film. What's funny is that they already did that direct sequel to the original with texas chainsaw 3d yeah that that movie is a direct sequel to the original because it even has that opening scene where it's um from from the first one supposed to be the ending of the first one then the yeah it takes place like minutes after the first one ends and you have uh bill mosley playing drayton which i think was really cool that they got him to do that but uh yeah the the texas chainsaw franchise is the only franchise i can think of with a timeline as messed up as the Halloween one, because you got so many different storylines. nothing, one, man,
1: three, he's with a different family. The second one, he's in a cave, and uh, don't I, even started about the next generation. I
0: love Texas Chainsaw. Too. Well, I that, think
1: that's the only fair sequel, in my opinion, and and I think it's because it, it, Toby Hooper made it.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. For yeah. sure, it was him doing what he wanted with his property. Yeah. And uh, what I really like about that one is that um you know that takes place so many years after first movie was 74 that sequel's 86. That's yeah. 12 years later and it's still the same filmmaker but he's coming back and he's saying, "All right, you want me to make another one? Okay, but it's not going to be the same fucking thing. Fuck that. We're going to go totally different. It's going to be a comedy, it's going to be wild and If I could have any movie be turned into a maze at Universal Halloween Horror Nights, it'd be Texas Chainsaw 2, hands down. You start in the radio station. You got fucking Chop Top there with his Sonny Bono wig. And then you got Leatherface dancing around and busting through doors. And then you wind up, yeah, and that like amusement park underground cave thing. Like those are two excellent settings to have for a haunted house to walk through. And I wish they would do it because, I mean, sure, maybe people don't know... Texas Chainsaw 2 as much as some other movies but twice now they've had a house based on Halloween 4 or yeah <laughs> specifically Halloween 4 which I know horror fans like but like yeah, more people just as many people like Texas Chainsaw 2 as they do Halloween 4 maybe I agree, I agree.
1: <laughs> don't even get me started about the next generation though talk about a horrible sequel of- oh yeah I mean what a weird time for oh. horror. Because that was, what, early 90s? Yeah. Mid-90s? Yeah. Horrible. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I can't believe that he was even in that. Well, that's where their whole budget went. They went right yeah. to him.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, dude. I don't think that guy was earning uh, anything more than a day rate right back then, <laughs> right? That was before he was mapped. Well, no, because Days and Confused would have been before that. Huh. Mm-hmm. I think. I don't know, man. I don't know my McConaughey timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just such
1: a mess of a franchise. You have all these other films coming out here one film that i'm really piqued in my interest in seeing is the black phone made by scott derrickson who also made sinister yeah yeah
0: and hellraiser inferno the yeah that we brought it up before <laughs> yeah uh yeah i am also interested my thing with new horror movies is i will hear that one is good and that's basically when i like close the metal door and just like i i, I don't like to watch trailers i don't like to know details of plot i like to If you tell me a movie's good, I like to watch it and discover it as it's happening. I don't like to have preconceived ideas of what it is, uh, what's going to happen in it. I haven't watched, I don't know what the fuck Antlers is about, but I really want to see it because I heard it's good. Is it about a a deer killer? Is it supernatural? I have no fucking idea, but I want to watch it. And similar with the black phone, I've heard it's good. I like the people attached to it. That's another thing that I'll just take that. Oh, this person's making it. Cool. I'm in. And uh, that's how I like to to watch movies. Mm -hmm. Sinister was another franchise that
1: I feel as though had so much potential because the first one was a great movie as Ethan Hawke is going to be playing the bagul type of role in the black phone. And I love how he's embraced the the horror community and being a horror actor. Now, it's really amazing to see. He's coming from big time movies like Training Day. It's insane. Mm -hmm. But sinister. What's your take on that? those two movies because the first one I feel as though is a classic in a way, because it was so great. And the second one just kind of went downhill and that's why we didn't get a three. What's your take on the sinisters?
0: I I kind of ignore the second one. It it, it, that one is a movie that feels like it was a direct to video movie. I don't think it was, uh, but it it just has that feel to it. It's just kind of rehashing some shit. It's now too many kids running around. I don't know. I thought it was bullshit, honestly, but uh, the first sinister, I think is one of the best horror movies of was it 2010 2010s yeah yeah Yeah. so I think that's one of the best horror movies of the previous decade uh I fucking love it I think it's terrifying I think the found footage element of it is great um I don't know it's a haunted house movie that you they can't move away from which is always really funny with haunted house movies like well just move that one it's like well if you move then you're 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 adding yourself to the list and I think the is cool uh, but cool. And I think, yeah, I think it's great. And didn't need a sequel. I, I like it when movies don't have sequels, honestly, as much as franchises and sequels are the name of the game in the genre, I can really respect a movie. That's just one and done. Like it follows. I don't ever need to see a sequel, but no. that. that was a great self-contained movie. Yeah. And I like to see new ideas, original ideas. I'll always go see the sequel. Uh, but I do like it. Instead, when there's just new shit to check out,
1: mm-hmm. Jaws didn't need a sequel. Even though Jaws 2 is decent,
0: eh, it's all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Dream Warriors before, and Scream 2 was. You, you thought that was the worst of the
0: franchise. What is your your top sequel besides Dream Ooh. Warriors? Dream Warriors would definitely be up there for top sequel. Um, let me just kind of run through the franchises. Thinking of uh, Freddy's Revenge,
1: Saw 2. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I do like Saw 2. I think I, I also really like Child's Play 2. It's another mm-hmm. situation where they don't have to spend the first half of the movie with the is he is he not a possessed doll type situation or like hiding him. Child's Play 2, he gets to the killing right away. So Child's Play 2 is definitely way up there for me for sequels. Um, kind of looking at my Blu-ray collection. Psycho 2? was here psycho 2 i just watched all the psychos recently uh, a couple of months ago i just had them on in the background while i was cleaning up and doing stuff in the new house uh i like the psycho movies i don't know if the uh, i can't honestly i can't differentiate between them mm-hmm. i know that the last one he was a little older uh there was one with that guy from lost frank from lost he was like in it i no. not I mean- know
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh it's tough to really pinpoint a sequel because there's so many of them. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's why I go right to Halloween too, because I feel as though that, and you know why I go to that? Because it feels like the same night from the first one in 1978. It feels like the continuation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's always nice to have that uh, continuation. I do like that aspect of Halloween kills, honestly, that it takes place immediately after Halloween 2018, that uh, it feels like kills deals with the fallout from 2018, which
1: I like. Yeah. Yeah another franchise in which I respect your opinion on because I mean, you always see like the comments under there and people got to respect your opinion on covering films by the creators of Rosemary's baby and Jeepers creepers. I did see that there is going to be a Jeepers creepers reborn and it's going to be interesting how this kind of turns now with the different people behind it and Jonathan Breck, not playing the creeper. It's going to be interesting to see that.
0: Oh yeah. I, I honestly don't know pretty much anything about the franchise i saw the first i owned the dvd of the first one when, when i was younger back when it like came out when did that first one come out was it like 2001 2001 yeah yeah so that was when i was like peek into horror so that would have been like a new horror movie for me at the time i owned it on dvd uh i remember justin long gets his eyes removed at the end uh right. but that's pretty much all i know about it i you know when i started dead meat it was in my mind of like oh that's a movie that i'll get to and yeah, then, then, then the learned.
1: controversy broke and you know, Yeah, it's, it, I, it, it, it ruins it because that's a movie that I grew up watching. Because my grandfather was someone I watched all these horror movies with. And I remember being on sci-fi and it being one of my favorite horror movies of all time. But when like I heard that news, it's like it ruins it. Then you see the people comparing the creeper
0: to the real creeper, which is behind the. That's film. the thing <laughs> you is, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, there. Take Rosemary's Baby. I think that that movie is fucking incredible. I think it's uh, surprisingly feminist and really strong, uh, strongly so. And I love it. And it's it's damn near a perfect movie. And so I think with that movie, it's not hard for me to separate the art from the artist, which you know is fine for anyone to do. But then, from what I understand, yeah, Jeepers Creepers does have elements of like what the director did, of yeah. what he did, kind of in the movie and when when the uh the crime infiltrates the art that much it's much harder to just say well it's separate the art from the artist it's like yeah but but that is being influenced by this you know one day one day i'll watch the movies uh you'll cover
1: them when when they're dead (laughs) yeah
0: exactly when there when there's no way for them to reap monetary benefit from it but uh yeah until then i can't say anything because i haven't seen them maybe they're great movies but i can't say
1: yeah and even in the third one i think is just a crime is when he put a joke in uh, what his crime and what he joked about a crime similar to what he committed in the third one which was i heard about that in poor taste and the third one was abysmal and you know i'm curious to see what these new creators are going to do with that because i think the creeper is a horror icon in a way and it's a shame Mm -hmm. that that's tainted it but it's unfortunate, and we just gotta look past it. But man, the horror conventions, when did you start going to horror conventions? We can get
0: into when you started as a
1: fan, into now being able to host at some of these conventions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I went to Monster Palooza right away when I started Dead Meat. It, my 2017 Monster Palooza video was actually the second video I uploaded onto the channel after the first Friday the 13th kill count. So, uh, yeah, I, I went there and got to interview Tom Savini just by waiting in line and asking to to chat with him briefly, which was really cool. And I think going to monster Palooza, what, what was I doing the year prior? I was doing some kind of video shoot or photo shoot. When I saw someone walking by in like monster makeup and we were like, and this was before dead meat was even an idea. We were like, Hey, what's going on? And they, they said that they were coming from monster Palooza and they said it was a horror convention. And you know, I wasn't super into horror at that time, but it's always been a, a interest of mine. I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. I'd love to check that out. And then the next year, I had dead meat going, and I went there and made a video. And so I just kind of sought out as many conventions as I could. Texas Frightmare in Dallas has been my favorite, just the, the size of it and uh, the location. I don't know. I really enjoy the Texas Frightmare weekend. Uh the Monster Palooza conventions, Son of Monster Palooza and Monster Palooza, those are fun too. And I'd love to get to other ones. Uh, we the first time we had a table at one was at a smaller one in Rochester, New York. Uh, Scarathon, I think was the <laughs> name of it. But that was super fun because we got invited to have a booth and and be there. And then, you know, we we had all these tables and booths lined up for conventions in 2020 and Obviously, they all got canceled, that Monster Palooza, Texas Frightmare. And so um, we haven't been able to make it back yet. I know Texas Frightmare did have an event in 2021, but it came right as I think Delta was happening. And so we didn't feel comfortable going there. And then we were like, okay, at least we'll have our table at Monster Palooza. That's still happening. And then they canceled that one because they were like, we don't feel comfortable doing it. So hoping that next year things will be more back to normal and uh, we'll be able to get in on it because... Yeah, so the only convention that we've had a dead meat table at was at the end of 2019, October 2019, um, in Rochester, New York. So, you know, small town, upstate New York. And that was, we were maybe 2 million subscribers at that point. And now we're at like 5 point whatever. So I'm I'm so curious to see what will happen when we have a table at a a larger convention now with our current size. Like, I can't imagine what it will be. Cause we tried to do an informal meetup at Texas Frightmare in 2019. And we got shut down by the convention because we just tried to have it like outside, mm-hmm. but too many fans showed up and formed this huge ass line. And you know, my moderators were there and, and helped corral everyone into some semblance of order, but it was still just too much for the convention. They're like, you can't do this. And we are like, I'm so, we didn't want to do this, but uh, <laughs> so you know, it, it, that was 2019 again, and now the channel is, what, twice as big, which is insane to think about. Um, can't wait to be able to get in there and, and see people again. It was cool going to Halloween Horror Nights this year. That was our first event post-COVID. Oof. We got to walk around among horror lovers, and, and, you know, a lot of people spotted us and, and came up and talked to us, and we love that. So can't wait for the next convention. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm eager for it.
1: Mm -hmm. I know when uh, I did the promo for the show today, you were posted, you're clueless about hip hop and sports But during COVID, we didn't have sports. So the only thing that kept my mind sane, because I did when COVID first came out and the world shut down, we were all trapped in our houses. It it was like a horror movie. And it it still is pretty much. I didn't I I didn't think who knows, we didn't think we were going to survive or not. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was really your channel. And me continuing to do my shows that really got me through that hard time last year.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad I could provide some semblance of help. Uh, I was, you know, early 2020, I was like, all right, I'm taking a scaling back the kill counts for a few months. I'm going to only have one a month for a few months. And then COVID happened. And I was like, all these people are going to be stuck at home with nothing to do. So I kind of ended my break early and uh, got to making more kill counts. And then, uh, yeah. So I, I'm glad that that, that paid off. Cause you know, I wanted that time off. And I, I ended it early, but if it meant that it did help people because they had something to watch, then it was definitely worth it.
1: What are your top interviews that you've done so far with the show? I saw you got to interview Jamie Lee Curtis. Congratulations on that. That's huge. That Who are some dope, people yeah. that have been some of your favorite conversations that you've had and you would look forward to having on your show in the future?
0: Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis definitely was great. She was a huge ball of energy. Uh, I wish I had more time with her, especially because her interview was also with Judy Greer, who I love. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's an underrated comedic actress. And I'm so glad she is in these big movies like Halloween Kills now. Um, and I didn't get to talk to Judy that much. Like when I finally got like a question to pitch to her, they told me I was out of time. And thankfully, Judy, sweetheart that she is, was able to answer it uh, as quickly as possible for me. But they were great. John Carpenter was a dream interview. I think we only had like seven minutes of him. It was it was very short. Yeah. These like virtual interviews that we get to do, they're they're exciting, but they're also one a virtual interview. It's just not the same as an in person thing. No, you know, it's harder to do the timing and the back and forth. And it's like oh oh you're talking oh you go ahead and you know it's 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 that awkward. You can't myth.
1: gauge that. It's not that organic conversation that you have when you're in person, like you said. Exactly. Before. And yeah. I think
0: now it's probably. People are better at it than they were two years ago before it was so widespread because now we're more used to this video uh, communication as we have it. But it's still, it's not the same as an in-person thing. So I can't wait to get more of those in person because I think probably my favorite is still Mike Flanagan, uh, director of Dr. Sleep and Midnight Mass, which I haven't had the chance to check out yet though, but I hear hear it's a masterpiece. Haunting of Hill House is one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, But we got to talk to him at the overlook hotel, uh, at the, the Stanley hotel in Colorado, where, which the overlook was based on and just walking around with him. We were doing like a scavenger hunt, but like, that wasn't even the important part. We just got to fucking walk around and talk to Mike Flanagan for a while. And that was so cool. Cause he, I think he's one of the best working horror directors today and ever, probably, uh, that was really great. And then one other, I mean, I've had the, such a cool, <laughs> such a cool few years getting to talk to the people I've gotten to talk to Kristen Ritter was a recent one. And it's like, she's great. Loved her in breaking bad. And here I am talking to her about lost boys. Uh, And then hopefully I'll have some more pretty cool ones coming out in the next few months. But, um, yeah, hopefully these opportunities keep coming because I, I love talking to these people.
1: Yeah. who Who is the, the worst person that you've dealt with in this horror industry? Because you, you go to these conventions, you know who's there for the money and who's there for the fans. You have the Tony Morans and then you have the Kane Hodders. And we, we know what those definitions lie. But who, who's someone that you were surprised that wasn't the person you know, who went there was a bad character or just someone that you may have dealt with so far that just wasn't, eh, you just weren't
0: feeling them? Um, I can't. Here's the thing with that though. Uh, everyone's a person, right? And we all, all people have good and bad days and just have different moods that they're in because the reason I say this is because, um, the first time that we stood in line and when we make our convention videos, what we often do is one question interviews. So I'll wait in line to talk to someone and I'll get up there and I'll have my, my little microphone and, and Chelsea will have the camera. I'll be like, Hey. Uh, I'll happily pay you for your, your autograph, a uh, picture, whatever. Can I also just ask you one question on camera? And most people super cool to do it. The first time I did that with Bill Mosley, he was like, eh, why don't you go talk to this guy? And he kind of like shuffled us off to this other dude who basically just ran defense for him. And we didn't get to talk to Bill. And, you know, I was like, ah, fuck, Is Bill, is Bill not cool? Like, does he not like us? but that he just must have not been in the mood or maybe he was about to go on a break or something because uh, I've met him several times. I got to act with him in the Ice Nine Kills music video and all those experiences have been super fucking positive and he's a super friendly, chill guy. So yeah, I think people should just try to remember, Like I know that um, not everyone will get to meet these people multiple times like me. I'm so <laughs> lucky that I have these chances to yeah. do it again. And that's why I think anyone who is in a position where people are coming up to them and, and being happy, they should keep that in mind that this might be the one time in this person's life they get to meet you. So you should make it the best experience for them that you can. But like I said, everyone's a person. If you're in a bad mood, it just might happen. you know. Yeah. And so uh, I can't name any experiences I have that that left me with a lasting negative impression. Um, I really can't. I'm trying to think. And uh, the only one that I remember being kind of disappointed by was Bill Mosley. And then that was rectified. Next time I met him at a convention, and then acting with him in Einstein Kills, which was great. And it,
1: it, tell me about getting into acting. What made you decide to go into this field as a as a host? More?
0: I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not an actor. Uh, <laughs> you're, on, you're on IMBD. Sure, sure. It's not that hard to get on IMBD. Yeah, no, <laughs> it <tell you> <laughs> uh, Yeah, in in 2014, I was that. When I, yeah, because I worked a one year position at Universal from throughout all of 2013, right after I moved out to LA, then that job ended like January of 2014. I was like, I'm going to go off on my own and be an actor and audition and stuff. So for two years to all of 2014 and all of 2015, that's what I would do is just odd jobs. Uh, I I worked at a place where we were doing um, parties for companies and I would be the blackjack dealer or the craps dealer. And I would also help set up these like craps tables and such. So just a lot of odd jobs while I was trying to audition and none of it ever stuck. I didn't get any actual parts in anything. Anything you see on IMDb is just like the lowest of budget. uh, Just bullshit. No, no <laughs> offense to the people who made it, but it, it, not only were they like low budget projects, the roles I would get would be like random guy in one scene. Like I was never successful as an actor. And I think I didn't deserve to be. Uh, I look back at who I was during those auditions and like, I thought I was confident, but I wasn't. I was scared and worried and and unsure of who I really was. And I think now I could probably do a better job. Uh, so that might be something I try again in the future, just because, I don't know, it's fun to play make-believe. That's all it is. I I can't say, I, I have actor friends who like love the fucking craft. Like they are actors <laughs> and they deserve any success that comes their way. Uh, I am not that person. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more of like a commentary person. You know, I, I think- my best form is a slightly heightened version of who I am in person. I think that I've really been able to leverage that well with the kill count and with podcasts and stuff like that, because I'm just being me, just a more heightened version of it, but acting it, it's fun. It's fun to, to put on another affect and be a different person. And so I'd love to give it another shot. Now that I am a more confident, secure man and and know who I am. I'm not the same scared uh, mid 20 year old who. When I was doing all those auditions, I had many nights crying over how much debt I was in and and the thought that I would never, ever, ever be able to pay it off and just having Chelsea pay the rent for us because she had the steady job and it was just a miserable time. And that's going to affect you when you go into auditions and you're trying to play something, you know, if if you're uh, worried about how you're going to afford the gas to get back home, that's going to come through in the audition. So now that I'm at a better place in life and know more of who I am, uh, I would love to give it another shot if I can find the time
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to work with Rob zombie, maybe on one of his films.
0: I don't, I don't think Rob zombie. I think there is a contingent of horror people. Uh, I think the whole horror genre, everyone, you know, we all love it. We're all horror fans, but there are clicks within the horror genre. And I, I, I would guess that if Rob zombie put on a kill count, he would be like, what the fuck is this shit? What is this <laughs> bullshit? Like happy go lucky asshole talking and he would not be wrong so uh i love rob zombie we talked about him at length in the beginning of this but i don't know if rob zombie would like me maybe if we spent enough I mean, time he cast chris hardwick i mean <laughs> yeah but that was like uh that was like proto chris hardwick that was before chris hardwick was like chris hardwick yeah. like talking dead chris hardwick uh i don't know i forget how he knew him and how he got that role in uh, house of a thousand corpses but like even Chris Hardwick doesn't have, I don't know. I don't know, man. I bet, if, I bet if you put me and Rob up in a hotel for a week, we would end up getting along great. But I think that some people get a certain first impression of me where they think like, is this fucking guy for real? And it's totally fair for them to think that. I have so many close friends who have told me, yeah, the first time I met you, I, I thought you were an asshole who was just like pretending to be someone who you're not. And it's like, no, man, this is just who I am. Uh, but you know, once you acknowledge that and you get that, I think I'm a likable guy, but I don't always make the first impression. I think that someone is as, uh, like tough and, and wizened as Rob zombie. I think they're probably going to have their guard up for someone like me with my energy.
1: (laughs) Oh. where do you see your show going from here, man? Do you see this getting on big time networks and maybe, maybe even you becoming an, an even bigger host such as Sven,
0: Sven and Elvira? Do you <laughs> see yourself doing that in the future? Uh, I'm not sure. Right now, I'm happy with what we make and what we have. I'm really proud of the Kill Count. I, I make something that I would want to watch. I make something that I would want to exist as a horror fan. When I finish a Kill Count, and I do my final watch through, uh, just making sure that it's all good. I, I watched it. And I'm like, yes, this is a good episode of something that is informative and hopefully entertaining. And it is a good thing to put out into the world for people to enjoy and consume and learn from. So I'm really happy with where it is. Uh, I have been doing this for going on five years now. Um, that's a long time to be doing yeah. any one thing. I still, I never, I, it's you can't say never, but I don't intend or want the kill count to end anytime soon. No. You know, I, I love the show. Um, I would like it to be less of a all-encompassing thing for my life. Cause right now and for the past four years, my life has been the kill count. <laughs> like, no matter what I try to do, or it's like always gotta get the next kill count out. And it's a lot of work, and it's become more work because of how different the show is and how much more involved the show is now so i would like it to not be as focal and whether that means less frequent releases in the future whether that means bringing on someone else to help me write the scripts because i still for all 300 whatever episodes there have been i've written 99.9 percent of the words in the script occasionally someone will suggest a joke and i'll write it in but like that's me doing the work of not only the initial draft of the script but also the research to learn more about the movie and then the rewrite which incorporates all that background knowledge and, and behind the scenes information. And that, you know, the editing, I now have a team of editors who take off most of the editing workload. I still do a final pass. Maybe I should get to the point where I'm hands off to that too, but I've just, as an editor, I got to have that last yeah. say. Uh, but having those people take that workload from me has been enormous, uh, enormously helpful. So now the next step is probably finding someone to help with the writing process. The only thing I'm worried about is that's gonna be a different show in some regard, because it won't all be just for me. Yeah,
1: that's and, what I was gonna uh, say. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, the the references and kill counts and the jokes, like they're all from my perspective. And um but I think that if I want to truly be happy with uh continuing to make progress in my life and creatively and try other things that aren't just the kill count on YouTube while still having the kill count exist because I like it and want it to exist for fans of it. I will probably have to make some adjustments that may result in a different show. Uh, But hopefully people will understand and hopefully I can make do other cool shit that people are equally interested in because uh, yeah, I love the kill count. I don't want it to be the only thing I ever do. You know, I don't want another five years to go by and be like, I still haven't, tried to write a script or anything or make a movie. That's uh, what I was just
1: getting. Well, let's segue yeah. into this now. Have you thought of writing some scripts for movies? Because I know you're passionate about horror, obviously with the, the channel, you're, you're a huge slasher guy. Have you had some ideas about writing some scripts for some movies here and even talking uh, with some companies?
0: Uh, yeah, we're actually, so I think the first step For making a movie for me at least would be producing because a producer is kind of a um, all encompassing job. They do a little bit of writing. They do a little bit of business stuff. Uh, They can look at ideas that other people have and mold them to make them better. I think that those are my strengths. Uh, It's hard for me to come up with new ideas from nothing. That's, that's an incredible feat that I'm always impressed when people are able to do that, 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 Type of creativity I don't really have, or at least if I if I do, I haven't exercised that muscle enough to be confident in doing it. But as far as like taking something and shaping it up to be better with suggestions and stuff, I think that I could be do that really well. And so Chelsea and I are actually working on uh, producing a film that our friend has written, and it's made some progress. So hopefully, we will have more news and be able to actually make announcements about that in the coming months. But uh, we are, you know, taking steps to do that next thing. And so I think producing would be a nice first thing for me to do. And especially if that means me being able to get on a movie set and refamiliarize familiarize myself with everything that goes into making a movie because so much goes into it. Yeah. And it's easy for people to be like, oh, dude, you make, you make all these great videos about horror movies. You should make one yourself. Like, I'd love to, but it has one, it has to be good it has, it has to be, I can't just like make something just to make it and have it be shitty because something on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. You can't, it-, it-, it, just- it-, it
1: needs to have movement to it and it's got to draw in an audience.
0: Yeah. Cause yeah. I especially think like if I make something and it's bad, then that's it. I don't think I would get another shot. Cause it would be this YouTuber stepped out of his lane, tried to make a movie. It was fucking garbage. Get back in your lane. Go make kill counts. Uh, that is what I would like to avoid. So I would have to have the time to focus on it and make sure that it was truly good, which I think I could do given the time, uh, to do it. But yeah, that'll be something that I think about more and more as, as time goes on because, uh, I'm 32 now, I think. Yeah. 32, uh, which, which isn't old by any means, but you know, you're you're no longer in your twenties. You no longer have like your whole life ahead of you. And it's time to start thinking about what do I want to be doing right now? And what do I want to be doing in the next however many years? And uh, like I said, I don't want to wake up in five years and have it just be, okay, I did another 300 kill counts. Great. Like, and no matter how proud I am of those kill counts, yeah. it can't just be that. I got to do something <laughs> else. So it's, it's starting to get to that point. And I, oh. think, uh, I think with me taking time off for the wedding next year, we're, we're getting married in January. After multiple, thank you, after multiple delays due to COVID, uh, I think that will work as a natural time to uh, make some changes and, and try something else.
1: What's this wedding setting going to be like? Is it going to be some, something out of a horror movie? Like, Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no, oh, no. no. <laughs> we, need,
0: we need to separate work and, and personal life. So, you know, we're both obviously huge horror fans. Yeah. I'm still at the point where when I want to watch a random movie, it's still I'm checking out Shudder because I just want to watch a horror movie, no, even though there are so many other movies I still want to watch. I'm still just drawn to horror, even if it's not for work. But it, no, the wedding is going to be a, our own personal thing. Uh, we will have Heather Langenkamp officiating it. She will be marrying Chelsea and I, uh, Nancy from the Nightmare that's on Elm. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's a nice little touch. Uh, and she is also like a really good personal friend who is just the sweetest woman. We're getting lunch with her tomorrow, actually. So oh, wow. So really i about that. And uh, that will be huge. our touch of horror.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's huge. And congratulations on that. I would love to see if you do get to take this thing into the movie business. You bring back monsters such as the Universal Monsters. And even yeah. anyone in this business. Go back to the real makeup effects of Vincent Price in House of Wax. I think that's one of the greatest monster movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean,
0: you know, anything I do will involve practical effects. Yeah, thank you. Because the
1: CGI is horrible. I can't Damn. deal with it.
0: <laughs> no, even this movie that we're producing, like, uh, we, we got the script from our friend who is a great actor and writer. He's writing this as like a vehicle for him to star in. And uh, it's, it's a really good horror comedy. I would compare it to Freaky uh, if I had to compare it to something. It's like a college set. um, Just like kind of zippy horror comedy. But our first note was like, it needs to be gorier. Like if we're putting the dead meat name on it, it's gotta be gory. We need an exploding head in the first few minutes. So uh, that is what we're bringing to the table. That's just like, cause he, he's not necessarily a huge horror fan. He's just, um, he will watch horror movies, but he's just a really good writer and actor, like an incredible actor and a very funny guy He's a stand-up comedian. And we're, so we are bringing the horror expertise to it. And we're like, trust us. If, if, we're going to have our name on it. We've got to go like, no, nothing metal to the metal. Yeah. Nothing even close to a PG 13 thing. Like, this no. has got to be hard R, just like gory. And, and we will guide you for that. And he's been open to that, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of it, just thinking about the Universal
1: Monsters and how, how much of, of classics that they were and they paved the way for slashers such as Michael, Freddie and Jason. Do you feel as though that the younger audience has an appreciation, not even just horror fans, that younger audiences today because you look at all things in entertainment, music, and it's just every form of entertainment. It feels as though the youth, as well as like just, just my generation and younger, they don't have a respect for things that came before them. Do you feel as though that's lost with looking back at films such as the Universal
0: Monsters and the classics and even silent films? um not sure you know there will always be people of every generation who are willing to look back and appraise and enjoy and learn from the classics those people will always be around i think probably every generation um looks at the younger generation and is like they don't respect what came before them if if there is a difference nowadays i think it would be because of streaming and the lack of people just watching stuff on TV when I was young, I, d- I don't know how old you are, but when I was young, twenty two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, so yeah, we will, we'll, we will have had different life experiences since I am 10 years older than you. Uh, when I was young, it was like, you would just channel surf uh, and you would come across older things and things that you didn't seek out yourself and you would just happen upon them and watch them because you were bored because you didn't have internet, or because the internet that was there was web 1.0. There wasn't social media. You didn't have a smartphone. So you, people were bored more often and would just watch whatever was on. I watched a lot of old sitcoms on Nick at Night and TV land, and a lot of people watched a lot of movies that they just came across on TV and wound up watching. Nowadays, since more people have streaming services, with streaming services, you have to select what you watch. Uh, I do like that shutter, which I will always, uh, I love shutter so much. They have two shutter TV stations that it's just playing whatever they've programmed and you can turn it on and it might be halfway through a movie and you got to wait for the next one, or you can just start watching that movie from the halfway point. I love it when I'm working out, I put that on and I'm like, Oh, I don't really know what this movie is, but even though it's 40 minutes in. I'll just have it on while I'm working out and see what's going on. It reminds me of being younger and like channel surfing and just coming across things. I think that's a fun way to learn about things that you don't necessarily have to seek out for yourself. So if there is a difference with modern day, younger people, that might be it. They're not exposed to that same kind of passive uh, uh, consumption of media since they have to click on something and choose it. But I don't know. I, I think, the other, the counterpoint to that is that nowadays everything's so fucking referential, uh, which I think has gone too far in that direction. But in the 90s, the, the reason Scream was such a huge movie and it felt so fresh is because movies didn't tend to name drop other movies like that. And, but you have the meta and, thing come into play. Yeah, the yeah. characters of movies tended to be self-contained. They wouldn't as frequently talk about other media nowadays everyone's working from the same point of like we all know that we live in this world dominated by by media and movies and tv shows and video games that the characters in these things will reference other properties and so maybe that's a way for people to like younger people to learn about older things i know that you know when i was younger um I would listen to, I would watch movies and look up what they were referencing. I would listen to they might be giants and they make all these weird fucking references, and I would look them up and learn about who uh, Edith Head was. And you know, nowadays I would know Edith Head because she is a costume designer for or was a costume designer for like Hitchcock films. So I would know that with my job. But like, I knew who Edith Head was when I was fucking thirteen years old because I looked her up because she was in a They Might Be Giants song. So hopefully, as things are referential nowadays. Maybe younger kids will be curious enough to look them up and now they can just pull out their phone and look it up. Uh, Maybe that's not as good retention as like when I had to, you know, get home, type it up on the computer and like print out the page if I wanted to remember it. But you know, it it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to answer a question like that. (laughs) It's so difficult, especially with the youth nowadays.
1: There was a a question I read from the comment section of uh, what is your thoughts on the upcoming Hellraiser film that was announced? I know Doug Bradley won't be reprising the role of Pinhead. And and I heard that the legendary, of course, creator of Hellraiser
0: will be involved with this. He will. That's right. Yeah. Okay. First one since uh, Bloodline, the fourth one. Uh, I, I don't know anything about it except for Jamie Dorman. Is that her name? Cast, yeah, I, as, uh, yeah, cast as Pinhead, yeah. I think that'll be really cool to see a totally different take on it. It won't just be some dude trying to do his Doug Bradley impression. You know, we'll get a totally different take that in some ways is uh more accurate to the book since Pinhead is described as what a, a uh, almost a, a, a genderless being, but <laughs> with a, a little girl's voice. I think I, yeah. I haven't read Hellbound uh, in quite some time, so I can't say for certain, but from my understanding, that, that's the take. I don't know anything else about it, and I know that there's also a Hellraiser TV series being developed, which, again, I don't know anything about it except for the fact that Mike Doherty is helping to make that happen, who is another personal friend of ours. And, you know, I really love Trick or Treat. Krampus is great, so I'm excited to see what he does with that.
1: Yeah, Clyde, I think the fact that Clyde Barker is involved in some sort of way here, I think it's really piqued the fans' interest here. But I mean, I'm, curious, I'm curious about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think Halloween 2018 is probably to thank for that. You know, it was it was brought back John Carpenter after a long absence from the series. And it showed that you can do a new installment in these classic series and have it feel modern and also be good. And I think that that really spurred a lot of these these new uh, films and TV series being developed. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm peaked to see if there's going to be any more. Fights between legendary slashers as we saw with Freddy
0: versus Jason. Do you have you thought oh, like of any crossovers? That, yeah, it uh, it's hard. That that would ever work again. I don't know because you know, like with take Freddy, a crossover is not going to be as epic without Robert England playing him. Yeah, he, right. and he wouldn't, he's done with the character he said. Um, with the masked characters, you could probably get away with it, but even like if I, there was supposed to be a Halloween versus Hellraiser, I think that that was I like, did read about that, mm-hmm. and that would have been. Um, I think John Carpenter would have directed it and Clive Barker would have been involved and Doug Bradley would have been pinhead. Like you, you can't do that now. You know, no. if Doug Bradley isn't pinhead, if it's a random pinhead, then, then the crossover doesn't feel as for lack of a better word, epic. It doesn't feel as like, oh, we, it is led to that. Like all these, these years of this character existing has led to this crossover. Like it was with Freddie versus Jason even though Kane Hodder didn't get to play Jason, uh, thankfully yes. Jason's masked. So it kind of, you could get away with it. But um, yeah, it, it's hard to say when that character, like like if you did a Candyman crossover, but it wasn't Tony Todd, mm-hmm. what's, what's the point almost? It's exactly. Like, you're telling me that this guy's Candyman and then we're supposed to feel like this matchup is really a huge deal, but like, I just met this guy, so... Yeah, yeah I, I totally get what you mean. What is James Jamie A. Janice's, Clayton, by the way, is the name of the uh, actress who was cast as Pinhead? I don't know if I got that name right. I might have gotten it wrong. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm sure when, when we replay the interview and watch it, we'll see if yeah. you got that right. <laughs> but what, Jamie what Jordan,
0: is that? Is that a character? Is that like Fifty Shades of Grey or some shit? It may be. <laughs>
1: what is James A. Janice's top five horror movies of all time?
0: Uh, the thing, Scream, those are the the two that are easy. Uh, the others are hard because I feel like every time I learn more about a movie, it elbows its way up towards the top. Um, Candyman, I have a ton of respect for, so maybe that's in the top five. Uh, I love The Descent, that's probably up there. Um, man, it's tough because like, we're the classics. And what are the ones that feel like most personal, uh, personally important mm-hmm. to you? Um, for a fifth one, I guess I could just say I love Wreck, too. Maybe Wreck. Wreck. Yeah, yeah, there's that's, a lot of them.
1: That's another apoc- apocalyptic type of film that you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I respect that top five. It's different. Usually you get the cliche, Exorcist, The Shining, Halloween, but it's different. I respect it.
0: Yeah, I don't think any of those would be in my top five. Shining could probably fight its way to the top 15, maybe. I really like that one. Exorcist is probably the classic horror movie that I'm most meh about, which is maybe a hot take. but And then Halloween is is fine, but it's also... I think it's more... um, I like more of what it established than what it is itself if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. In your mind, greatest
1: remake of all time. This is tough because remakes can are often, with purists such as myself, are are looked down upon. If you could choose one remake that you think just embodied it and even surpassed the original, if you want to go there, that's kind of a hot take. But what's your thoughts on greatest remake, if there is one? Well, I'm not going to count The Thing
0: or It as remakes because Mm -hmm. I believe they are different adaptations of the same source material yeah um with that being said god dude i mean maybe friday the 13th i think it's definitely better than the original i think that original is not a good movie uh and i think it just goes there yeah i think it's it's the best version of those movies or up there anyway yeah man
1: anything else you want to talk about man James A. Janice, you are here for the show. Anything else? You have the upcoming Kill Counts with Hellraiser 3 dropping this Friday. Any other ventures that you want to speak on,
0: man? Uh, no, we'll get a bunch of Kill Counts in December. I'm going to do my best to have multiple releases a week and get some of the big hits from this year that people really want to see. Uh, might close out the year with the, the, the Purge because people tend to like watching me fight my way through those movies and try to count all the background bodies. And then uh, my producer editor Zorin will be kill counting the Tremors franchise in the beginning of next year so that I can take a little bit of a break, get married, get my business affairs in order. And uh, like I said, just try to focus on doing stuff that isn't the kill count. So um, that's what's ahead for now.
1: Yeah. And, and congratulations, like I said, on everything. And just you having the number one platform on YouTube for horror and it. It, it sure is. And you, you really just give a lot of inspiration to the fans that watch and they tune in, man. Every time you drop, they tune in, you see it in the comments and you've created your own horror community in a way that it's just, it's amazing. We've seen it blow up in our phases and in the success that you've had. Keep going. I'm looking forward to everything you got forward throughout your career, especially if you get in this movie business and have success. You have a lot of go- things going in the right way that is going to be on the way, man.
0: Well, thank you, Max. You keep it up too, man. I saw that you interviewed Crazy Bone. I love yeah. Bone Thugs, man. <laughs> there were, in college, there were a number of Bone Thug songs that I, I, I would come home from class and sit down and study the lyrics so that I could do them. I knew every word of Notorious Thugs at one point. couldn't wow. say them all, but I, I was able to do those raps, which is nuts. And Crazy's part was one of the most difficult. So. <laughs> I even fucking saw them. Uh, I forget which one of them was in jail when I saw them in 2007 or eight mm-hmm. at, at like a Detroit auto show. It was when their, uh, fuck, it was when their super poppy album came out around that time. Uh, hold on, I want to see Bone Thug's <laughs> discography. That? See, you do know hip hop. A you little talking? bit, yeah. A little bit, Come yeah. On. Uh, was, it, was it Thug Stories? No, that's 2006. Uh, it was something, it was just a really poppy Oh, strength and loyalty. Okay. I remember that album cover for sure. Flow motion.
1: Okay, there you Flow go. Flow <laughs>
0: Motion came out, and like that's a cool song, but it's not the same, you know, as as the other stuff. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, I saw that you interviewed the him, and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, cool.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But we get a real quick take. Top five uh, ha- rappers of all time, if you can name them, if you can. You mentioned you mentioned Crazy Bone. That's a deep cut into a, into a hip hop group. So I'm surprised.
0: Man, I don't know if Bone Thugs as a group would probably be up there. I'll give me. that to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've always really liked Ludacris's voice, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love his, his like flow. So, uh, I gotta say Eminem because. Oh. Detroit, you know, yeah. and uh, I was really into him. I was really into like the Slim Shady LP. Yeah. And Marshall Mathers LP came out. And I was like, this is good, but it's not as fun. And then he became like a super serious rapper because that first album was like almost comedic rap. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, fuck. Other rappers. Um, He helped me out with some suggestions. Tupac, Biggie, Nas. Big pun. Tupac, out of them, Tupac I listened to the most. Uh, uh, Hel- hail Mary hail Mary yeah hail Mary yep. oh, yeah yeah come with me yeah, yeah. uh that's good Wu Tang uh, Wu Tang unfortunately I never really listened to a lot of wow um, like I, I I respect them mm-hmm. and from what I've heard I like but like they weren't a band that I I, I jumped into uh Snoop I got into for a little bit yeah uh and he's he's another guy like with Luda it was just a cool voice. Just the cool voice and flow. Um, never really gotten to like Kanye or Jay Z or or Drake. I I'm, I am googling rappers. <laughs> 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 oh, and I'm wearing my Baby No Money shirt because I just a uh, concert. love that guy. Uh, Canadian version of me, just younger and cooler. And uh, I love all of his tracks, and I eagerly await all the ones that he puts out.
1: Huge. Yeah, man. Like I said before, and essentially we're on the hip hop topic right now. I do suggest that you check out the Gravediggers and Cool Keef's Dr. Octagon because those are horrorcore, which is hip hop and horror form albums. Okay. Oh, you know who else? Uh, Blackstar most okay and top quality yeah yeah. i
0: I listened to the hell is it just the one album that they have yeah
1: that's the only one album they have i listened to that
0: certified classic Fuck out of that album yeah front to back multiple definition
1: that song's crazy yeah it's so good oh See, you do know hip hop. Get out of here with this. Oh, like, get out of here. You know it. You, you're better than most. Some people that I interview, I, I'll tell you.
0: See, that's the thing is, I don't, I don't know it. I can't say I know it because, because especially now, it's like, oh, I'm the horror guy. I know horror. I can speak yeah. with authority. Any other topic, I'm like, no, I don't know shit. Even if I know a little bit and can enjoy some things, I, I, I can't say that I know it. It would feel uh insincere. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But, yeah, check out those albums I
1: told you. James and Janice, let me tell you, you're always welcome on the show. Anytime you got anything to promote, I had a blast speaking with you. Keep, Like I said, keep on striving, doing what you do, and, and I appreciate everything that you do for horror because it is the most important genre in all of entertainment and movies, man. Hell, yeah, dude. Thanks a lot, yeah. Mac. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your night, and congratulations on everything, else, like I said before, and your wedding, too. Thank you. Much Thanks success lot, to you, man. All right. Take care, man. Have, enjoy your night, man.
0: Bye. Yeah, bye.